Welcome to the Conversation Room, where idea meets intellect. So join us, where like minds conversate, the Conversation Room. Who shot y'all? Separate the weak from the opposite. Rap star Tupac Shakur is in a hospital recovering from serious gunshot wounds as a New York jury deliberates his fate regarding sexual abuse charges. I mean, that's what kills me. It's like every time I think this is it and I go all out to beat that, I win. Or I lose and then I come into the next one, it's, it's worse. It's yeah. even worse. Like it's like a, a like the Twilight Zone, because it's like some evil, unstoppable shit that it just won't let me go. Mm -hmm. It's just got his hands on me and it just wanna see me fail. He knew like it's gonna come one day where when I start putting out this besides Brenda's got a baby, their mama, and when I get really like political on them, I'm gonna be a target and then what hurt him the worst is like the New York incident where he got robbed in a studio. Quad Studios. Yeah, he just, he's like, man, I'm, for all I do and represent for my people, I just never thought my own people would shoot me. When a white cat pulled the gun on me, I was prepared. You know what I mean? I don't to react. I'm when a nigga that. pulled the gun on me, I like froze up like, oh shit, a nigga gonna kill me? When them dudes put out the pistols to me. Man, who was that, man? It was these fools from New York, this gang out there called 18. These man. fools was mad because I, I told them I wasn't fucking with them no more. See, the girl that did this rape shit, she hooked up with the niggas that shot me. Oh, is that right? It's all connected. It was a big plan. I just caught it, like, at the end, and that's why they shot me. Man, hey, man, you got to stay up, man. When you when you step through that, that way, man, you got to be on point, bro. I ain't going through there no more. If I do, I'm going with 100 motherfuckers. Yeah, I'll be one of them. Yeah. Because no we, we can't be having you not here. You had mentioned that when Pac was in the hospital, he felt like the doctors were going to poison him mm -hmm. through through the needles and, and stuff like that. He just became really paranoid. Yeah, I mean, Mama Feeney was like, when I came to the hospital, she like, yo, please talk to him. He, they saying if he leave, he wants to check himself out. An infection could kill him. So I said, all right, Mama, I'm going to come talk to him. So when I came up in, he was like, I know what you're going to say, fuck that, I need to go. I said, all right, we're going to go. I heard there was an actress that he stayed with right after the hospital. Do you know who that was? No, if I did, I wouldn't say it. Okay. You know, I ran off to the hospital, like, no matter what's going on, I'm still here for you, and I love you, I care. So I was there, but I got there too late. So you heard about the Quad Studio shooting a day later. You went to the hospital to try to see Tupac, but once you got there, Tupac wasn't there. If I'm not mistaken, Tupac went to Jasmine Guy House right, right after he left the hospital. First of all, he was shot five times. Somebody wanted him dead. And walking around knowing that yeah. really affected Tupac's spirit. Yeah. Um, there was fear. Yeah. There was a lot of mistrust, almost like anybody involved with his recuperation had to go underground to even deal because nobody had to, could know anything because he was, he was sure the people that shot him knew him, that it mm -hmm. wasn't a random mugging. Not five, no. not five shots. Mm -mm. 
he didn't want to stay in the hospital or at his girlfriend's house. So um, they called me to see if I could keep him while he was convalescing from the the wound. And he didn't he didn't feel safe sitting up in the hospital bed. Tupac Shakur has been sentenced to a maximum of four and a half years in prison for sexually abusing a fan. A state judge in New York condemned 23-year-old the 23-year-old rapper for his quote arrogant abuse of the victim and crimes he said had escalated as Shakur's career progressed. Once he was in jail, though, uh, they put him in solitary confinement. Yeah. They used all forms of. Uh, uh, tactics that are called by Amnesty International penal coercion tactics mm -hmm. to mess his head up. So most of our population uh, probably still believes that Tupac was some gangster who uh, you know got killed because of a gang rift or because of this you know manu what I call manufactured East Coast versus West Coast rap rivalry. I worked hard all my life. As far as this music business to make it East Coast, West Coast love and make everybody feel comfortable. And I dreamed of the days when I can go to New York and be comfortable and they can come out here and be comfortable. So it's not like I'm, I'm when people say, why are you doing it in East Coast? It's not like it's, it's not silly at all. But you can't disrespect the love. You can't disrespect the peace treaty. I bumped into Stretch in the club one night. And he was like, oh, Dad, what's up? Because I knew him. You know, I met him from day one when I met Pac. He was there. And, you know, I would always see him. He tells me that uh, Pac, he's sure Pac would love to know that he ran into me because we lost contact and he had no way of getting in contact with me. I said, okay. So I gave him my phone number. I told him, call me. He called me, told me he had a message for me from Pac, you know. So I said, come through. I'm living in Brooklyn and Best Buy at the time. I'm like, come through. This man shows up to my house with some dudes from Junior Mafia and some dudes from Bedford Avenue. And I'm just like, okay, because from what I'm getting, I haven't spoke to Pac, but, you know, the radio interviews and what's going on, the, the atmosphere is that there's a problem between Big and Pac, that Pac feels like, you know, Big has something to do with him getting shot in that thing. So I'm not really knowing what's going on here at this point, but that already looked fishy to me. Then Stretch comes under the pretense that he got a message for me from Pac. There's no message, though. It's just him trying to holler at me, you know, and that was the second flag. So, you know, after I spoke to him for a little while, I shut him down, told him that wasn't going to happen. You know, that prompted me to contact Pac, because I'm like, this your boy. What's he doing with your enemies, peoples? And why is he trying to holler at me? Uh, there was anonymous letters going back and forth. There was uh, strangers making uh, outrageous accusations. And, uh, and so, yeah, Tupac started believing some of this stuff um, at first. And then you know, by the end of his life, he didn't believe it anymore. He realized uh, that in his last album, uh, Machiavelli, yeah. had a song called Against All Odds, where he says, let me you know, uh, tell you about this snitch, you know, I mean, an FBI agent named Haitian Jack knew he was working for the feds. Of course, Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, uh, set me up and wet me up. Yeah. And the set him up was for the sexual assault scene, and that wet me up was, of course, shot him at New York Recording Studio Lobby because it was an associate of Agnant, of Jacques Agnant, Haitian Jacques Agnant, that uh, lured Tupac to that New York Recording Studio Lobby where he was shot. Um, there was, uh, I have a doctor's affidavit uh, copied in my book 
showing that there was two bullet hole, uh, entry wounds in the back of the skull and two exit wounds in the front of the skull. Yeah. And he just bare those bullets barely missed his brain. They uh, they suspected they suspected that for example Haitian Jacques Ignat was bad news, and they told Tupac you know we're not sure about him him we don't know his origins we don't know what he's really about, but Tupac was having all kinds of problems at that time. Uh, financially, legally, obviously they kept arresting him with, and I, I think that was part of their same strategy they used against the Panthers, the what's called a, the harassment arrest strategy that was yeah. found in FBI documents. And what it turns out is, that, of course, that it was eventually found out that he had a, a miles-long rap sheet of uh, charges up and down the East Coast, according to Tupac's New York trial lawyer, Michael Warren, who got that rap sheet. And uh, and all the charges were dismissed. And Michael Warren said that's a sure sign of a police intelligence agent. They just didn't realize how much U.S. intelligence, you know, how many resources they would put into targeting Tupac. And all I was doing was like, give me my proper etiquette. I got shot. I'm like, yo, what happened? Come see me in jail. Biggie all in the air to my ear pockets, my homeboy wound, but not seeing me. My homeboy Stretch is going to Biggie's concerts. Niggas is like abandoning me. Mm -hmm. Niggas is just going to act like I'm going to just be in jail and they're going to give me shout outs and try to take my position. Mm -hmm. And if you watch, that's what Biggie did. Listen to his, I, I, I was there, nigga, I trained the nigga, he used to be under me like my lieutenant. The nigga, I used to come in New York, I used to do shows and let the nigga come on before I did keep your head up and get around. Because mm -hmm. nobody knew the nigga in New York. Mm -hmm. And I used to tell a nigga, yo, if you hey, want to you know, make your money, I'm, I'm, you got to rap for the bitches. Do not rap for the niggas. Yeah, I told yeah, yeah. a nigga, don't rap for the niggas. Rap for the from. bitches. The bitches will buy your records and the niggas want what the bitches want. So all of a sudden, he changed from being, listen to party and bullshit. Listen to his style. He changed from that to Big Papa yeah. because of me. He had my album, Me Against the World, was the second one. He had the first one. I changed everything because Ready to Die came out and it sounded like my album. Mm -hmm. He was supposed to be, he was supposed to be thug life. Mm -hmm. All while he was coming up, I used to let him come on stage with me. He was screaming thug life. Hey, cause I he was like, I hate Canadian. Brooklyn, I hate New York. I'm out with them niggas puppy cheating me. Woo, woo, woo. All of a sudden, he blew up and he wasn't saying thug life. Mm -hmm. So I started getting mad and I was seeing the niggas place. He was hugging me, yo, punk. Yo, thank you. He was the only nigga that woo, woo, woo. But he, and then he told me like about a week before I got shot. He knew the nigga that was shot me and he was like, Pop, don't hang around this nigga. You know what I mean? You know, we walked in with the nigga that shot me and ended up shooting me. He's like, Pop, don't fuck with this nigga because I knew the nigga too. He was my mm -hmm. co defender. And uh, I was like, What you mean? He's like, I'll talk to you about it later. And we didn't talk. The next time I saw him was at the studio where I got shot. So I knew he knew what happened. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Biggie, what happened? He kept sending me messages like a bitch, you know, like, mm -hmm. I'm gonna come see you. No, nigga, what happened? While I'm in jail, strangers is telling me. Yo, you don't know? Biggie homeboy shot you. So now they rapping against me, and you, you can imagine how I fucking feel. Mm -hmm. When, when I got arrested you, in New York, I got arrested for Biggie. Them guns in my room was Biggie's guns because them cowards left the room when they heard the police was downstairs, and everybody left their guns in my room. So I got four guns in my room. Serial numbers scratched out, and I did not since I took that case. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine how I feel. When I'm in jail for that case, and he out there living a mafia lifestyle, giving me no money, giving me no respect, giving me no tribute, rolling with my road dog who was there when I got shot. I mean, come on, man. I'm not paranoid. Mm -hmm. I'm not paranoid. Nah, nah, Y'all niggas know what time it is. Yeah, I, I would say Pac always knew. I think he knew Big. See, a lot of people get it confused when he knew Biggie didn't really do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We knew Biggie wasn't a gangster. Yeah. You know what I mean? He probably come from the hood, but he wasn't built like that. But Pac was upset that 
word on the streets and even when he went in prison is that Biggie and them knew this was going to happen. Had, had knowledge of yeah, it. Yeah, they had knowledge of it. And also word on the street is that they was going to try to take advantage. They thought Pac was going to get killed that, and they're going to drop this who shot you or they, they was going to they want to be in the studio when Pac gets shot or killed and they're just going to help their careers. Mm. This is what Pac was getting fed. You understand? Mm. Now, um, soon he gets shot, Biggie put out this song, Who Shot You? Mm. And it sounded like it was aimed at Pac. So Pac in jail, like, man, something, it was just, even if he didn't do it on purpose, it was bad timing. Yeah. So they were basically torturing him in jail, messing his head up. And then when he got out of jail, um, he, he was with Death Row Records, who I argue and show evidence of that continued these tactics to mess his head up. And uh, only when he was finally getting away from Death Row Records, uh, did he get back into some of his activist lyrics and uh, he had started his own record company, his own film company and um, had fired the real head of Death Row Records, a guy named Dave Kenner, a white lawyer and within nine days of firing him, of course, he was killed. Yeah. And um, now I argue that uh, Death Row Records was the U.S. intelligence front company. A high-level white Los Angeles police officer found dozens and dozens of his fellow police officers at all levels of Death Row Records and he went to, when he went to his superiors to ask what were they doing there, uh, they said you can consider them covert agents. And one of their goals was to aid in the murder of Tupac Shakur. Yeah. And of course they had some other goals also, which was partly to end the Bloods versus Crips peace truce. But on a grander scale, isn't it somehow, if you look at hip-hop today, what it's become, <laughs> Wouldn't you say from your conclusion that it might be also, is it actually a tool to, um, to suppress black people in general? In the 80s, for example, you had groups like Public Enemy right. that were uh, putting out activist lyrics. You had uh, Boogie Tribe Down Quest. Productions. Tribe Called Quest, all these Tribe bands. Quest. Yeah, I mean, you know, these are all, these are groups that I liked a lot in the 80s and early 90s. And uh, I think the industry was taken over by the huge multinational corporations. In the 1994 is when I started officially working for Delphi Records. 94. 94. We had got intel that um, a few of the guys that was working for Delphi Records was planning on robbing and kidnapping shit and holding them for ransom. And so we met, I remember the corner, we met at this dairy on the corner of Lone Beach Emmer, and uh, which happened to be in Southside Crypt area, <laughs> pretty much. I insisted uh, that they get real security, uh -huh. real cops. <laughs> and and Shig was like, you know, he, he rubbed it off pretty much. I don't know if he believed it or not, but you know, knowing Shig, he just like, yeah, yeah, well, I you know, I'll deal with that. I don't believe that. Um, but. That's why y'all need to be over here watching my back anyway. Well, this is what happened. I, 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 I insisted they get real police uh -huh. because I didn't want to. I said, I, I just can't do this anymore. You know, this is crazy. I come to the studio and there's all these guys and it doesn't, doesn't feel like, you know. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to do it. My father was like, oh, man, half the guys that's working for you, I'm trying to get them on some cases myself. I'm not coming, you know, okay. I have no interest. So your dad turned it down? Yes. But you, you did not. I didn't turn it down. Uh, however, at that point, I wasn't the one, the main guy. Uh, my father suggested another lieutenant uh, by the name of Danny Sneed. So next time I go, there's real police. 
and this is then at the El Rey Theater. Well, when I looked at that, though, when I saw the first person get killed in front of me, that's when I realized this stuff is for real, man. These fuckers ain't playing around, buddy. And, yeah, El Rey Theater. Uh, the Theater. Yeah, but I don't remember any of the incident. That was the dude that got beat up so bad. Oh, he got... I never seen it. I mean, I I never saw anything like that in my life. But no, I mean they they they, they like they split his head open and it, it just the guts went. I mean his head and it just was like whoa. I was just like whoa. And then, but then the crazy thing was, the next day at death row, it back like nothing even happened. And this company, Code Four uh, Security, was the uh, security company. And I had some disagreements with the way things were done and felt that they didn't do things that they should have done. And I decided at that point that I was going to um, form my own security company. Okay. And then Suge hired Rightway? Right. Way after it ends, I found that they were Rampart guys. Eventually, yes. He hired Rightway. Uh, or I hired Rightway as, um, you know, the, the director or the chief of uh, security for Death Row. In 1995, there was a Source Awards. First of all, I'd like to thank God. Second of all, I'd like to thank my whole entire Defo family on both sides, you know what I'm saying? I'd like to tell Tupac to keep his guards up. We ride with him. And one other thing I'd like to say, any artist out there want to be an artist and want to stay a star and don't want to, want to have to worry about the executive producer trying to be all in the videos, all on the record, dancing, come to Death Rock. The East Coast ain't got no love for Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Death Row. Y'all don't love us. Y'all don't love us. Well, let it be known then. We'll, we know y'all East Coast. We know we at East Coast. Of yeah. When we rode, we rode together, and uh, I think it was I was excited in the moment to be on the Source Awards and to be on the stage. And you know, he told me, "Come on up here with me." You know, come up. So you know, I went up on stage with him and. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was mostly a bad boy death row thing. But at that point, what he was doing, most people don't know, he and I had just got off a plane from signing the deal and David Kenner with Tupac Shakur. Now, you actually were with Suge when he started visiting Tupac in jail. Yes, I was. Okay. So, so describe, describe the first meeting that Suge had with Tupac in jail. I don't know what the meeting was like because the furthest I got was to the gate. So I had an opportunity to see the excitement of Pac coming to death row, you know, from Suge's eyes and from his mouth. But all three to four times that Suge and David Kenner went up there, uh, I was there as well. Okay, so were you actually sitting with Suge and Tupac? No, no, were... I stayed in, in the car. Okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't got go it. inside the prison. Got it. So since you were around while Suge was working out his deal with Tupac, one of the stories that you hear different sides of is that uh, Suge put up the bail money. Then another story is that the record label put up the bail money. Okay. In the movie, 
there's a scene where Tupac is calling Interscope Records to try to bail him out, and they, they front nah, him. Nah, he's calling hmm. about his braid. Okay. That's, you know what I mean? It's, it probably could have been developed a little bit more, but mm -hmm. they was basically trying to show how Pac was locked up. Old money. Remember, this man had the number one album while he was in prison. The first artist to ever do that. Yeah. You know, a million... A million sold back when a million scan was really a million records. Right. So that's between thirteen and twenty million dollars that he had coming to him. You mean this man don't got the money to pay his own bail and it's only one point three, one point five million dollars? Wow. Doesn't make sense. Uh, his wife at the time reached out to Shug and just asked for some money. Shug shot fifteen thousand dollars, put it on his books. I said, hey, here's $15,000. If you need anything, call me. That's when Tupac reached out to Sugar and said, hey, come and see me. That's when they started talking, and Tupac was saying, hey, you know, they, you know, my record company is doing, doing me wrong, which was Interscope. They, you know, they don't want no parts to deal with me. Right, but, but Sugar has a deal with Interscope as well. And a relationship. So I guess they, in their conversations, Jimmy was like, hey, you can deal with him. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of dealing with him. And that's when Shug was like, okay, we can make this happen. Hey, David, you think we can get him out on a PO bond? What can we do? Complex said you were top 25 A&R of all time. Um, and in the, in the little synopsis they have of it, and they said, although Jimmy Iovine and Suge Knight eventually moved Gregory out of the picture by taking advantage of Shakur's insecurities and dangling beats from Dr. Dre as a bait. Do you think that's an accurate account of how you guys' working relationship ended, or is that hip-hop folklore, which a lot of no, that's that actually Yeah, because this, that guy introduced, uh, interviewed me. Okay. So that was pretty close. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, folk, the folklore is the bail. We're not going to get into that too deep. Okay. That's one thing I don't talk about. Um, I will talk about it, but I just don't generally talk about it. I never... I, what I will tell you is it's folklore. Okay. And I have the paperwork back there in the office. Wow. <laughs> you got to show it. We won't take a picture. I got to see that. I got to see that. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's literally 100 pages because it's, it's part of his whole... Um, the, um, when he, he was released from jail pending appeal. So, it was, you know, I have the whole appeal package. Wow. And myself, maybe the lawyer, maybe the estate are the only three people that have it. If maybe I'm the only person who has it, I don't know. Right. I mean, I've never asked. What do you remember the the last conversation you and Pac had? Absolutely, yeah. What you care to share? Is it too um, personal? No, I mean, you know, it was really very simple. It's like, do you want to call Sugar? I'll have someone else call him hmm. because I I want to when I get out, I want to sign. We should because I want I, I want to do beats with Dre. You know, I want to do songs with Dre and Snoop. And that's yeah. the only way I can do it. You can go with me, or you don't have to. It's up to you. And I'm like, I don't see why you, you have a number one record in the country right now. You're in jail. I get that. I, you know, I totally understand. We're working on that. But you have a number one record in the country. Why do you need to go somewhere else and do something with someone else? Yeah, that's 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 tough. Yeah. So back to the Source Awards. They go and, and do this presentation, you know, they do this performance of Murder Was the Case. If you look closely, 
They had it where they had each artist, when they were singing their verse on the Murder Was The Case soundtrack, come out of a cage. You look closely in the cage to the far right, Tupac is in there. We had, when it got a big picture of Tupac, and we had placed that picture of him inside of one of the cages. That was really Suge's way of letting people know that Tupac was now signed and was going to be with Delfro. Okay. And that he had Tupac's back. And so he was starting his beef with Puffy then for, for Tupac. It was a power move for Suge. Suge was already beefing before Tupac. It, this wasn't just Tupac and Biggie. Suge was trying to get at Puffy and trying to bully him like he was bullying everybody else. You heard the Andre Harrell story. You heard you heard many stories. The Andre Harrell story? You didn't hear the Andre Harrell story a lot? I guess the rumor was that Suge beat up Andre Harrell to get Jodeci out of their contracts. That's the rumor? That and more. So he wanted to sign Jodeci and Mary J. Blige, and he got them released yeah. from their contracts and they signed with Suge's West Coast Management. Mm -hmm. As for Andre Harrell, he told Newsweek in March, 19, in, in March of 1993 that he hired security services from the Nation of Islam. Yeah. After that situation. Yeah, there was always security at Interscope too, you know. And um, they made sure that, that they were uh, protected. Protected. Yeah. Well, I mean. If Even not security. Even what? And it wasn't just security that protected them, too. It was police? No. It was gangsters? Mm. Okay, there's a gang element yeah. involved on the other side. That's right. As well. He, he really was terrorizing the music industry. Yes, he was. Now, I'm going to tell you to some extent, maybe for a while it was good for the industry, because the industry really screwed up a lot of people for a long time. Yeah. You know, and Sugar somebody, collect on, on certain things. Somebody came to regulate it and, and say, hey, man, this is unfair, right? Yeah. But then he took it to another level. You know, but, you know, Shook fought for his artists, but there, there's, there's a thing of fighting for them and then this thing of, of you know, bullying? untouchable and bullying, yeah. yeah. Even, you know, I, heard, I, I would hear a lot of stories and I could hear, you know, a couple of times Jimmy saying, Sugar's a bad guy. He's just a bad dude. You don't want around. Interesting. Yeah. So you think that led to ultimately uh, Dre going over with Jimmy directly because Suge was having a problem. Oh, yeah. You know, because Jimmy was having a problem with Suge and then Dre started having problems with Suge. Yeah. So Jimmy well, said... Well, everybody had a problem with Suge, you know, but it, it just, it lasts for so long you can do that, you know. And then after a while, just... People didn't want to deal with him anymore. Well, people, even, even, people started even, separating themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, it just became unreachable. Yeah. Was that headache? Well, I remember when I was working with SRC Records, uh -huh. who was part of, they were part of Universal uh -huh. in New York. Yes. Uh, 1755 Broadway. And I remember I walked into the security office. You know, they had like a security room with all the security guards. And there was a picture of Suge on the wall, and it said, do not let in the building. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, apparently, the story is a little bit hazy, but the, the security guards told me something to the effect of, I guess Suge had threatened the, the president of Universal, uh, Doug Morris, yeah. I guess, yeah, Doug. at the time. Mm -hmm. He had threatened Doug Morris, 
and he was not allowed in the building and there was a security guy that was standing in front of our building every day when Doug's car would pull up he would escort Doug into the building and then when Doug would leave he would escort Doug into the car and then he would leave like his job was to make sure that Doug got in and out of the Universal building safely that's right and uh it had something to do with the whole Shug thing yeah it did so and I'm going to tell y'all one thing that I know for a fact. And rest in peace, EZD. One thing about Eric. Eric told me one day, I thought, I thought Andre did all the music, all the beats. All right, whoop. You know what Eric told me? Huh? People send our demos in. Andre redo them. We redo the raps. Yeah. That's the song. All right. I took that same get out. So basically, I took it from Easy. It did the same shit. I took it from easy and took it to another level. All right. And guess what? Jimmy Iovine sent me to prison and stole it from me. Yeah. Have you ever seen a motherfucking CEO from a record company all of a sudden be joined to the hip with Andre? They dressing like they doing headphones together, they doing headphones together, all for what? Universal money? Yeah. Have you ever in your life seen a person like Doug Morris give Puffy $35, $40 million to do an album? And guess what? Did they not label, not flop? Did none of the records do anything? Yeah. Did they not drop them because of that? Yep. So how is the fact that Jimmy Iovine, who's Doug Morris, protege, turn around and give Puffy the same deal for the same amount of money? Yeah, and guess what? That's flop. You know one thing about me? I don't care any n Hollywood, any n on the streets, especially Hollywood rappers. Yeah. We can get our paperwork. Yeah. And see what all we ever been arrested for. On, I guarantee bro, you, there's never been nothing for me but straight real and violence. Ain't no, you ain't snitching. No, no, I, don't, I ain't never in my life told. You, you'll have a 90 motherfucker walk down the street and said, Suge Knight killed Tupac. <laughs> well, everybody know off the top, I ain't the nigga killed Tupac, I'm the nigga protected Tupac. Yeah. But at the same time, bitch ass Puffy can give him a motherfucking star and every rat in the world said he didn't want to kill Tupac. Yeah. I had him shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if you notice, it was a rat on television saying he the one did the shooting, this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened, right? Right. If you think about it, right? Right. Why you think nobody been arrested if they said they the one killed Tupac? So they do this, uh, you know, this performance, the Source Awards, and there's a picture of Pac, as you say, in the, in the, in the jail cell. That's what, and he was signed. Most people don't know the deal was executed. Yeah, he was already signed and at that point. And I mean, Pac knew he was on his way home. Yeah. On the appeal bond. So Suge gets presented, you know, the label of the year award. Yeah. He gets on the mic and he basically disses Puffy. Correct. You guys go to the tunnel afterwards. Correct. And then Puffy and Suge run into each other? They didn't run it. Well, yeah. I mean, we went to the tunnel knowing that they were going to be there. Yeah. But they came over. Puffy talked to him. You know, people around not know what the conversation was. So it, it seemed to be tense. But, you know, Puffy, sure. <laughs> I really couldn't believe it because homeboy, me and him were, were, were friends. But th at that day, it was tense. Everybody was talking. and But Sugar and Puffy were cool at one point. I, I'd have been over with Sugar at Puffy office, but we done missed planes where they want to talk. Sugar, yeah, yeah. He would wow. pick me up from the airport. Wow. You know. I've never heard this before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we got to break some news here. He picked wow. me up from the airport, the whole entire thing. And, um... So to make a long story short, 
you know, this is where the after party's at, of course, at the world-famous tunnel. Right. And so then when I had that, I ran up and I asked him, and he said, nah, I was talking about Jermaine Dupree. Oh, he was talking about me. Right, right, Yeah, that, right. yeah. No, well, I which, guess we got an which side do you think is this a little? Come on, man, y'all know better than that. That's not. That's not. I mean, I, we was there. I was. Right. I was there. At that point, I was scared because I know that the wolves that was with me, mm. they was like real live wolves, and mm. yeah, I got in. I didn't. I didn't get in to hurt anybody. Him and Puffy was was edited before Tupac even touched ground in L.A., and I think Puffy just wasn't biting into the shit. We lost a homeboy, Big Jake, out there. Uh, got killed in the shooting. You know what I'm saying? Sure came home. How the fuck is that? Shit that people don't know is that that beef between Puff and Suge started at my birthday party. Okay. Whoa. Segway. Facts. Okay. Wow. Like, I mean, it started at the Source Awards, but I'm saying for for like got get, some real once it got real. So you so you're saying like like Big and maybe Pop might have been like they ain't had nothing to do with this yeah but it, it affected like if yeah it went into that but they ain't had nothing to do with this right. this was all like ceo to ceo shit. Wow. that's what i'm saying like i invited suge to my birthday party suge uh -huh. came to my birthday party with just him and his one dude all right i invited puff to my birthday party puff came with the whole bad boy crew right. <clears throat> they had beef from that from that source shit. Right. But I wasn't ever even thinking like it was no real beef. I wasn't right. even invited. I wasn't thinking about it like that. Right. But the whole night went, the party was great. Beautiful party, everybody had a good time. Then we went to this after party. Mm. We went to the after party. I guess Puff and Suge had some kind of like saying, said something to each other before, mm. whatever, at my party. Mm. So when they got to this after party, Suge came to the club. And Puff went outside. They were in the middle with Puff the and middle, Shug? The middle of the street, Puff and Shug. Wow. Outside in Atlanta. At, and this is at your party? Yeah. Is it a calm conversation or they? No, nah, it's not a calm oh, conversation. Okay. okay. Um, but not just hostile, them. It's a very hostile conversation. Okay. And their crews is, 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 is? Ain't no crew. I mean, Shug oh, wow. has got one person. Oh. Puff got a crew. Oh. Shug okay. got one dude with him. Okay. Right? Suge was in some shady shit, doing too much, and trying to flex. And he couldn't, he didn't have his bodyguards like he normally had. So he was out there thinking people is like really scared of him now. He couldn't take advantage of that this time. Puffy them went biting into that shit this time. Right, they had their own. Yeah, they, they, he had they killers had too. Own. He yeah, had right. people with yeah, the yeah, guys too. like Wolf and, and everything. Else. That was ready to go. Yeah. And all I know is Puff started drinking his champagne mm. while they was talking, and I guess somebody champagne. must say something to him. Mm -hmm. And next thing I know, you know, Wolf rest in peace. You know, mm. he let off a shot and mm. let off a couple of shots and. Suge Man got killed right there. Wow. In Atlanta. Wow. God that was bless. the beginning of that whole shit. You're working with Death Row, and then Pac comes out of prison and joins. Correct. And you were there as that's happening. I think he stayed in New York for a day, okay. to be honest, when he got released. Yeah. And then he got on a plane. I don't know, I forget how that happened, but I remember picking him up about 5 p.m. 6 p.m. on on a day his first day from being you know coming to L.A. Okay, 
But when he came, it was like, uh, you know, from the day he came out of jail, from the, from, the, from the day he got off the plane, he pulled up to the back door, man, and fell, fell out. Actually, he fell out. The first thing he did was fall out. He, like, passed out completely, like, bam. And they think he did a whole bunch of songs that day. Pac did, and I guess he, he was so excited or not excited, for lack of a better word, but happy or feeling good, where they were smoking and drinking. He had a seizure that night. And, and, and hit, the, hit the ground, and they picked him up, started putting water on him. He had too much to drink and too much to smoke all at once. And um, like I said, this was probably like 5 o'clock when his plane landed. Probably by 9, 9.30, he had a seizure that night where myself and his security that I assigned him to that day was named Kevin Hackey. Uh, we had to get him and take him to the Peninsula Hotel and get him checked into his room where he eventually stayed for about two to three months. And when he came to, he went into the studio, man, and Pac didn't come out. I've been in the studio since um, the day after I got out. I came to the studio. I got out Thursday. I've been in here since Friday. Mm -hmm. He would be passing out, so I'd be like, okay, I guess we got to go home now. So then we go home, come back early in the morning, do it again. I think we broke a record this time for any recording. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do the album in less than a week so I can call my album Seven Days. <laughs> but um, we did 13 tracks, 13 tracks in four days. It's different than any other album I came with so far. This one might throw a lot of people off because I just, I just blacked out. This one is like, this album is a reaction to the backlash from C. Deluxe Tour, C. Dolores Tucker, um, Bob Doe, all those people that just kept sweating me about the music. Now it's, I feel as though this album is something for them to sweat. Oh shit. <laughs> you done fucked up, man. <laughs> you done put two of America's most. When you gonna come through? When can I come through? Anytime you want. I'm in the studio every day. I'm finishing my album. I'm doing the, a double album this Christmas called All Eyes on Me. Hey man, hey, I'm I got the song with Dre. I got the song with Roger. I got a song with George Clinton. That shit is fat. Hey, I got Sister Soldier coming. If you come, nigga, we could do the bomb. I'm telling you. Together. Hey, check this out. Check this out. Hey, I'm here, brother. <laughs> And I want to get this uh, this organization started with you. Only we could do it. Let me tell you the idea. Right. It's like where like we start like this youth league, right? right. Basketball, football, softball for girls and boys. Yeah. I'm gonna get all the rappers to adopt the team. Get the field. We right. play. Right. We have like the churches come out and sell food. That's real. We had the fathers and the uncles and all of the men in the community. They do security. Right. Get their respect back for the kids and Straight everything. Up. Then we had the FOI come out. We had the deacons from the church. They do security. And we just play football, baseball. You know, get that community spirit going again. I'm with Then it, on the weekends, we have block parties. All right. And every rapper got to get up. Every rapper, nigga, if you got a record out, you got to get up for us. You got to come to a free show for the hood. That's real. And it's like a little tour. That's so we real. do that. We get all the communities back together. Now, I'm talking to Al Sharpton about this, some other motherfuckers with some power. And then when we do that, we register the voters. And if we can yeah. register them for Democrats, Republican, or Independent. Yeah. Once we register the voters, we have power. Then we start going up to the mayors of these cities and telling them, look, we got this many voters in this city. We want you to do this. We want um, a community center. We start hitting up Nike for the free clothes, the computer stores for the free computers for each community center. And if they don't, then shit, that's how many people we have in those cities we can regulate. I'm going to have all these tough-ass, supposed-to-be gangster rappers.
leverage that. We're going to drive to all these drug areas, right? We're asking you, not telling you. We're asking you as a player to a player, can you please give us a pass to have these streets clean from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., 6 a.m. to 11 p.m.? Right. Let that be for the kids. Let them the niggas be safe during those times. No gunshots, no drug dealings. From 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., y'all can have the streets back. Hey, but, and you know what else, too, though? When I talk to you face-to-face, I'm going to drop some shit on you, right? Some other stuff, too, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's that, man. You know, I'm with all that, right? And, um, you know, that's the, that's my type of work. Yeah, we need power, man. I'm telling you. Hey, dig it, man. How's so, mom's doing? She doing good. She, we just had a show in Vegas. Did she? We had a big-ass show in Vegas, me and the dog, because I'm on death row now. Yeah, hey, man, congratulations. Thanks. Man. You happy over there? Yes, all right, so far. So, right, hold, let me tell you. Hold on one second. All right. But what Suge really got a bad taste with Puffy, and when he was already kind of not feeling Puffy, was because it was a fight, and we were already having Club 6-2 open when we were doing the parties at the club, and Biggie was hot. And Suge asked Puffy to have Biggie to come and perform at the, uh, at the club. And I think Puffy demanded something like the door where Sugar just thought he should have just got a fee. And and at that point, Sugar just told him, oh, no, well, I have the doll pound, I'll have somebody else perform. But when that conversation happened, I think the big Jake incident happened with, at the Jermaine Dupree uh, party. Before Tupac came on, uh, so it was a little bit before Tupac, but that incident, all of this stuff happened after the Source Awards, okay. which we know the Source Awards was in August of 95. Okay. You know, you also hear about the incident of Suge making someone drink piss? That happened allegedly at a, uh, a, a Christmas party. Okay. Where uh, one of Mark, I think his name was Mark Anthony Vale or something like that. One of uh, a guy that was working for... Uh, Puffy and Suge. Puffy and Death Row. He was yes. working with Street Team. If yeah. I knew anything about Street Team guys back then. They, they were independent contractors that worked projects for every record company that was hot at the time, especially the urban record companies. Mm-hmm. Um, that incident was later found, or I think he signed a agreement and a settlement where he said Shig wasn't one of the ones. It was uh, Dr. Dre and a couple of other people that were the ones that uh, that was that had assaulted him. Okay, well, but wasn't there some sort of altercation that happened where Shig and Puffy were the same club, and Shig's friend gets killed? Because I remember there was some sort of. Uh, I think it was like the Biggie and Tupac series that they kind of reenacted it. Yeah. And there's the scene where Suge is like blaming Puffy for for the you know indirectly for the death of his friend or something like that. Yeah, he he blamed uh, Puffy or his boy Wolf, Wolf. in on entourage for that incident. Okay, Wolf is now dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I got it. So so now it's really it's really it's up. personal now. And then we have the the shooting. When Biggie get on the radio and pump up uh, the Doll Pound trailer getting shot up. Right. This and is then, like December yeah. of 95. Yeah, right. So all and of then, this is going yeah, on. The, yeah, the, the, the Dog Pounder filming New York, New York, Correct. Brooklyn. Biggie gets on the radio, Hot 97. We heard him when we was in Times Square. We heard him on the radio. And he was telling his boys that uh, we was out there disrespecting their stomping grounds. Wait, so he was on the radio. Saying this on the radio on Hot 97, live on the radio, and they let him, they let him like it was the chat line. So that happened the next day. Wait, so so the Red Hook Brooklyn incident happened the next day. He was on the phone the day before. 
We was filming okay. in, in film? Red Hook, Brooklyn, and we was in a trailer, and you just saw, you just seen. And where did it hit? The first bullet came through the window, and. Which window? The window behind me. I was sitting facing the door. And then, and then we all looked at each other. Another bullet come through the window. I said, oh, so they shooting. Because I heard the first one, but I didn't make it out. I'm like, and I heard something like, Tick. And Dog said, they shooting, cuz. Bang, everybody got on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> the security opened the door and said, where's Snoop? Where's Snoop? All you heard was crickets. And he says, it's, it's, it's Frank. Snoop said, man, get the fuck off of me. Here I am. Man, let's get the fuck out of here, man. Let's go. Move. Get off me. Move. Stop touching me, man. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Fired up the van, snatched everybody out. So what's in the van, told us to stay down. Shot back to Jersey. We was living in, we was, uh, in the hotel in Jersey and got them, like, flights up out of there within the next couple of hours. Got in that car. We was out. Went back to L.A., so sad, real sad, sitting at Snoop's house. Didn't even talk to each other for about a week. I had to stay till the next day. You know, I did damage control on the radio. You know, New York, y'all be having snipers. People be on top of them rooftops and be like, oh, y'all want this one. They sharpshooters, man. Y'all got some good shooters out here, because I don't know how you hit the window directly. Yep, yep, yep. Nobody got hit, though. Nobody got hit, thank God. And then so y'all decided. And we was just sitting there, yeah. and one day Snoop woke up and said, man, get up. Called DJ Pooh and say, man, check this out, man. We finna kick over every building in New York. It happened in this Los Angeles park. Snoop's bodyguard shot and killed 24-year-old Philip Waldemarium. Snoop didn't pull the trigger, but he, the bodyguard, and a third man were all charged with murder because prosecutors say they hunted down Waldemarium after an earlier argument. Snoop's attorney claims self-defense and says the DA has an agenda. But the charges haven't hurt his career. In fact, some accuse the rapper of making crime pay, as Reed Galen reports in tonight's Eye on America. As Calvin Broadus leaves the court where he has just appeared on murder charges, little kids clamor for his autograph. What's your name? What's they know him as rapper Snoop Doggy Dog. I'm just an inspiration. You look to me as inspiration. A chilling thought to critics of music ripe with violence and to the family of the victim. My brother has become just a nameless, faceless commodity in the interest of record companies profiting from his blood. I, there will be no outbursts in this courtroom. The next sound from anyone is out the door. Go ahead. As to Calvin Brodus. We, the jury in a bubble tile action, find a defendant, Calvin Brodus, not guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree. In violation of Penal Code Section 187, a felony, as charged in count one of the indictment. Dated February 13, 1996. Charles B. Foster, four person. If you hear about a lot of the artists, Used to be someone used to be on death row, someone on other labels. You might hear them um, getting caught with drugs, getting caught with a gun, stab somebody, do those type of crimes. They're not gonna come to prison. One of the reasons they're not gonna come. Like to Snoop. Or... Well, Snoop would never come. I mean, Snoop was on, 
you know, we beat a murder trial for him, but then he was on probation. Then he got caught with two ounces of marijuana. Then he got caught with guns. And each time, it's nothing. They're not going to violate him. Because for the street guys, the street guys know what I'm talking about. There's no puzzle. I mean, if you get a guy that constantly getting in trouble and never going to come to prison, that's because he's an informant. He's a rat, yeah. a snitch, yeah. you know. And they're more important to the police on the streets than in here because they let them know what's going on. They might say they sold by telling on three or four or five other guys. You know, I'm from Compton, and I'm, a rat is the lowest you can go. A rat will do anything. But you know, they said it was a rat. I mean... Did things change once uh, Tupac arrived? Well, <sighs> Suge stopped hanging out with Danny Boy as much. And Dre and Suge never really hung out going to clubs and stuff. We would see them at, you know, at the House of Blues. We would bump into Dre and Bruce and his security guy, uh, um, you know, at clubs and stuff like that. But to say that they were hanging out and going out together and stuff like that, no, that, that, that wasn't their relationship at all. Mm -hmm. Mainly because Dre was mainly on house arrest at the time as well. But Suge and Pac was together when you're going out to clubbing and stuff like that, every every time they, they went out to a club, to the house. And the, mainly the only clubs we went to was the House of the Blues, to be honest. We didn't go to, you know, Roxy or Bar One. Shig and I would go to Bar One a few times on Sunday nights, but uh, they wasn't hanging out like that. Um, and so, um, yeah. Okay, so Pac and Shug got real close. They, they were real close. Okay. And at one point, Dre wanted to leave. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was all behind Michelle A, but... Right, because Dre had a baby with Michelle A. Correct. And Michelle A started messing with Suge. She was the one that was telling Suge about Dre exit plan and all of that. Oh, really? So, so Suge was already hearing things. The conflict was Dre didn't want to be around all those criminals. And eventually it got to the point where Dre just stopped doing anything. You know, you, know, you, can, you can almost see, if you, if you look at um, the work that was done by, by Death Row, you can almost see Dre, 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 then no Dre. Yeah. And even for a lot of the things where Dre still got credit, he wasn't the producer. There were other younger guys. Dads and, yeah. Right. Um, and so, so Dre just kind of absented himself from the process and refused to, to do anything. And so that's why he escalated some, the escape plan with, through Jimmy Iovine. See, Jimmy is the one that Suge was like saying, hey, get rid of this guy. <laughs> you gotta make something happen, this dude is. And so they both used Jimmy Iovine to, to make that split happen. Right. And then Tupac came in the picture and it took Death Row to a whole other level. On the level. Yeah. So then Dre, leaves death row? I think he left it mentally and, uh, you know, long before he actually left legally. Okay. And Jimmy Iovine ends up, from what I understand, giving Dre a chunk of money and basically financing Aftermath. Fa exactly. And from what I understand, Jimmy wrote Dre a hell of a check. <laughs> to, to leave? You know, to eventually, you know, f form a company directly within a Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, he helped him out. I'd heard like a hundred million or something. No, like it wasn't that, that much. Uh, I remember because Jimmy and I were very close. We used to talk a lot, and at one point, 
uh, Dre was after the firm and everything, before Eminem came, he was $21 million unrecouped. Mm. And that's when he had to downsize his house, move out to the valley, and all of that because Jimmy couldn't take care of him like he was supposed to because Edgar Boffman was on him, which was the new company that had just bought Universal. Uh, and, and, and Jimmy couldn't do the things that he, want, that he used to could do for Dre, so Dre had to take a drastic uh, downsize. So what happened with the Soul Train Awards? Soul Train Music Awards. Um, well, what happened was, um, Sugar, we, we went through the back. It was, uh, Sugar was driving one car, uh, then he was in the Humber, and I think he had Tupac and some of the outlaws. Uh, in, the, in the Hummer with them. Myself and Frank Alexander, the, the security that was assigned to Tupac, was behind them. Uh, we were initially uh, trying to bring in our entourage. We were like 50 deep. <laughs> Don Cornelius was very smart. He uh, said, hey, only one's coming in this back. <laughs> the back gate is, you know, Tupac, you know, and Shug and their security. Everybody else have to go around towards the front, mm -hmm. which, thank God, that's what happened, because we'd probably all still be in a penitentiary if um, we all would've came back there, because we had about 50 to guys with us in some T-shirts that all said, I believe he had, they had Bompton on it, mm. or, or it may have been P-Funk, one or two. What does P-Funk mean? Pyro funk, like, oh, okay. like, you know, for the pyros. Got it. And so he had a bunch of guys with him because the plan was, their plan at that time was, I believe, that I overheard that they were going to rush the stage and pull Biggie off that stage that particular day. Uh, but they were forewarned, the security there, um, because I knew the guy that ran the security by the name of Keith Davis, and they didn't allow them in. Into the into the facility. Pac had an encounter with Big. Yeah, I was there. What, what the, mean? the Shrine Theater what? in L.A. Yeah, that one. Yeah. How, what can you tell us? Because there's it's it's, it's people got got it misconstrued how real the beef was, man. It was real, and there's no secret about it. Everybody knows that it was real. People think that it was uh, you know just to sell records. Oh no, hell no. No, I mean I was in bulletproof vest every day with security. I heard that particular day guns came out. I mean, you know, that, that happened that happened some, a lot. <laughs> that happened a lot. But you know, before, it, it really not really, that day I'm there, we was walking in the crowd and we, we were just pretty deep. One funny thing I heard is like Puff went, uh, first thing Puff did was ran, run. Uh, I mean, the whole entourage that was with him kind of went the other way. But you had to. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> you got like, 60, 70 guys coming to you, muscles and shit. And you in their city and you in their neighborhood, it's, it's, it's probably time to leave. <laughs> yeah. So now, Puff behind me, and next thing you know, he dips to the left, and I see him jump over the, down into the embankment and just start running. So Shugnam is coming up. They about 40, 50 feet, a little bit long. I guess they ain't see him because, you know, I'm big dude. So I just played the wall, and they walked by me. They didn't know who I was. 
And if they did, they ain't say nothing. He goes up, he starts going up the steps. Now I get on the phone with Chaz Williams, who's over Black Hand. So I'm explaining the whole situation to Chaz about, you know, what just happened at Soul Train. And Chaz says, yeah. I said, yo, man, I told these niggas, I told this nigga Puff I got these dudes. And um, he took off running. And Puff was way upstairs, and I didn't even think he heard me. Puff said, yo, Gene, who you talking to? I said, Chaz, why? He said, why you telling my ran? I ain't run. You should just told him I took a left. And Puff's like, yo, Gene, I got like 127 employees. All these people depend on me for their livelihood. He said, if those white folks even think or knew that I had anything to do with any kind of gunplay, they're not going to fuck with me. They're not going to spend no money with me. You understand? He said, but I'm tired of living like this. And as he was going up the steps, this came out of his mouth verbatim. He said, I don't give a fuck if Pop gotta die. I don't give a fuck if Big gotta die. I don't give a fuck if Suge Knight gotta go to jail. I'm tired of living my life like this and something gotta change. Was, was Dre already on the way out when, when you guys arrived? Basically, I mean, it was, it was talks just, about it. You just, were here, you about, were here. Yeah. You know what I mean? But every time we see, I, I seen Dre, I didn't see, I didn't see that. You know what I mean? I didn't see that. Like one of the last conversations I never forget was on the set of California Love, and you know, um, Dre her hit him up and was like, "Yo, I love that fucking record. I want to shoot the video. I want to direct it." Wait, wait, wait. Hit him up was already recorded when California Love. The first. We had version? a version of it. Yeah. We had a version of about it. Biggie. Yeah, about a lot of people before he even got out of jail. Oh. We had planned that record sitting down in Danamora. This is what I'm gonna do when I get out. This is what we gonna do. This is how we gonna do it. You know what I mean? I say that on Life of an Outlaw. You know what I mean? Six months in advance before we planned it. Cause we had planned, you know what I mean? He was in there thinking, nigga got a lot of time on his hands. So he got out, he I, a lot of his moves shit. was already planned. Uh -huh. And he just went, came out and implemented each one of them. So everything is a, is a mess at this point. Correct. And then Tupac drops, hit him up. Well, uh, well, he did a little things before that. He, you remember the skit before Two of America Most Wanted? Pop, you alive? I mean, you safe? Man, I'm so happy you're free. <laughs> yeah, happy to see me. Wasn't y'all talking when I got in here? You're head of security. Are you? Worried at this point? That's hip hop <laughs> in my mind at that time. That's that's this rap stuff. That's this gangster rap. Because it wasn't really an East Coast West Coast thing at that. Nah, point. nah, man. We stayed partying on the West East Coast. You know, most of our guys was out there. Eric B. and you know a lot a lot of dudes that hung around us were, were living in uh, from New York, from the East Coast. So I'm not knowing. I'm not that smart. I'm not catching it. I'm not saying hey, you know. This this getting too deep. I'm not. Yeah. And I'm 28 years of age. I'm not that smart. Right. I'm and not you're that also wise. Not the, you're also not the decision maker. <laughs> I couldn't have did anything. At all. That's what people be like. Well, Tupac should have been riding like this, or yeah. These guys not going to ride like this. They're going to ride in the car with whoever they want to ride in. Right. They're not going to be riding in the car with security. Okay. <laughs> well, you're talking about the the New York New York video shoot, right? Mm -hmm. did, you, did you feel that things got more serious at death row? 
Nah, it was already serious, man. I wasn't even there for that, but it was already serious. It was serious before that happened. It was serious. It was, it was always serious. So you would actually go outside with a bulletproof vest all the time? Every day. I had a, uh, a security guard that I wasn't able, especially going towards the end, I wasn't able to move around without security at all. I knew Pac for years, uh, since the Bronx. And uh, I was going through a rough time. And uh, a friend of mine told me, man, won't you go to the West Coast, man? You know those guys. You should go over there, man. I was like, yeah, but everything is going crazy right now. This coast with that coast. And, you know, I mean, I ain't involved with any of that. But he's like, that's your boy, ain't it? That's your boy. I'm like, you damn right it is. So I called 411 and said, give me the number to Death Row Records. And they was like, okay. I called. Hello, Death Row Records. Hey, my name is da-da-da-da-da, and I want to leave a message for Tupac. That's it? Yeah. Hung up. 20 minutes later, looking at the beeper. Beeper, y'all. Beep, beep, beep. I'm like, 310. That's a new area code like West Hollywood. They just made that area code. Remember when they started putting extensions to the area codes? So I called, like, hey, somebody pays me. What's up, my nigga? They gave me two plane tickets. I left 7 a.m. the next morning, straight to L.A. I get there, there's a sign with my name on it, waiting for me with a limo. Drove, I got to the movie set. I'm like, I remember this place, I've been here before. I get out, there's a sheriff there. The FOI is there. All of these big, swollen, gang-banging dudes is there at the fence. So I got my bag, and I got my buddy with me. I gave him another ticket, the guy who told me, won't you go out there? I was like, I'm gonna let you meet him now. He's like, cool. I had one little carry-on bag, put the carry-on bag on the table, because he's like, we got to check your bags and all this. I started laughing. I'm going, oh, snap. My little man is a movie star now. This is crazy. They said, we got to take you to a holding area. Before I could get to the holding area, who come running in between the trailers? Ah! He's trying to pick me up. I don't believe you came. I don't believe you came. Everybody's scared of me. Look at my little ass. Greg, what can I do to somebody? But you called me. What you got on your last album on Def Jam? I'm gonna get you 50,000 more right now, right here on the road. They say we don't put out no positive hip hop. Your music is fun, people love it, they love you in Cali, they love you in New York. Man, you know what, let's do your first single tonight and I'll do the hook and we'll just bug the world out. He was like, you don't smoke no more? I was like, yeah, he's like, you don't act like it. Grab the ounce of the bud, th roll up. <laughs> It was just going crazy. He's like, man, he kept looking at me going, I love you so much. I don't believe you used to let me hang out with you, man. Nobody knew me. That's why I love you, man. And from there on, man, I, I was there for the last 30 days of his life. We've recorded about seven records. Okay, and was that supposed to be the One Nation project that the Tupac was doing? Yeah, I actually helped him put that together because he thought, like, he thought Easy Mo B was upset with him. He thought certain people was mad at him because of the things that he was saying on records and stuff. And I told him, like, Mo ain't mad at you. He's like, he's not. I'm like, hold on, let me call him. Yo, Mo, hold up, here, talk to Pac. He's like, ah, they screaming and laughing. I'm like, see, I told you, man, your boys love you. And he's like, yo, you want Primo to do some music with you? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I call Prime. Yeah, you want to come and work with Pac? Yeah. I'm like, you want to get Fat Joe in it? He's like, yeah, I'll call Fat Joe too. You want that? He's like, do you know how to reach the other guy, uh, Buckshot? I'm like, yeah. And we started doing it just like that, and, and it started happening, man. It, it was going down. He's like, I got I to gotta fix this. I got to fix this. Tupac called us. We was in the studio, 
and I'm like, yo, what up? He like, what up, man? Yo, yo, we just came home, Ray, Ray, Ray. Yo, I want this, that, and the third. I want to do this album with y'all, man. Word up. I want to do this album called One Nation. You know what I'm saying? Because he was like, I don't really, I don't really rock with dudes like meaning like that. He said, y'all was one of the only dudes that bigged me up when I was locked up. Y'all, we gonna have Bone Thugs from over here. You know what I'm saying? With this one from here, we gonna get it, go to Atlanta, get the. So we had a a, a vision. And and he said, yo, when can y'all come out? Said, yo, nigga, ASAP. Said, you come out like tomorrow. We flew out. Then we that was Friday. Saturday, we flew out Monday. I actually made a list of all the people that were supposed to be in one nation. So it was, you know, you of course, Smith and Wesson, Greg Nice. Yeah, Greg Nice. Scarface. Scarface. Uh E40. Um, E40. E40, Bone Thugs. Bone um, Thugs. And and the, the Outlaws. Outlaws. Of course. And um and a lot of people don't know LS, who was uh, Buster Rhymes' cousin. LS, yeah, he, he was in, getting the game too. He was one of the dudes that did the hook on, on some on some joints. He went, yo, he was a warrior. So yeah, at one time, if if it was, he wasn't dissing the East Coast. He was dissing certain East Coast rappers. He wasn't dissing the East Coast. He was dissing certain East Coast rappers, and he wanted the world to know that. That One Nation is about us respecting hip-hop in the streets as a culture, or as one nation. So, Pac is getting ready to do the Machiavelli album. Right. Number one, what was Pac's reason for not naming this album a Tupac album? Like a completely, it was a completely different name. Well, you want to tell him? No, go ahead. I, 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 Machiavelli was his solo album from the Outlaws. He made it a point, at least to us, to be like, yo, I'm a part of the Outlaws. He was it's in the group. Like Mac, it's not like Tupac featuring the Outlaws. It's the Outlaws. You know what I'm saying? We the okay. Outlaws. I'm going to put my solo album out first, though, just to make the shit bigger. Right. You know what I mean? He saw... What a lot of niggas ended up doing, like Nelly and, you know what I'm saying, Mace, they, they were all part of groups, but they was like, yo, I'm going to step out solo, even though he was already an established solo artist, superstar, multi-platinum, he was like, yo, I'm going to be the one to put this out. And it was really supposed to be like a mixtape, you know what I mean? It wasn't like supposed to be an album, right. you know what I'm saying? But Suge, being a businessman, heard right. the music and was like, oh, hell not. And the whole CD plus extra songs was recorded in three days. It was three like- Three days. Three days, man. So it was like, you know, we're going to set the streets on fire with this shit. You know yeah, what I'm saying? real quick. Yeah. And, and he really was on, he really was a visionary because he saw what mixtapes was going to become. He, mm, he right. kind of was, you know, kind of doing the template in a, in a, in a loose kind of way to what 50 and a lot of other dudes that established their careers off of mixtapes ended up doing. Sure. You know what I mean? And he really was on some like, yo, I, I want to I get my shit to the streets, directly to the streets. You know what I mean? I don't even want to be like a hip hop artist because like he had plans. You know what I mean? He had plans to take himself out of hip hop completely. And the only time you was going to hear him was on our projects uh. as the outlaws. Tupac and Snoop were beefing 
mm-hmm. right before uh, the shooting happened. Now, you guys were there when yeah. that when that happened? Me and Napoleon was. Yeah, okay. I was there. Yeah, okay, was so there. T- tell me about that situation. It definitely was some tension, you know what I mean? Snooping him, um, he had just went on, uh, I think it was Andy Mar- Angie Martinez, and, you know, they asked him the question, you know, how he felt and if, um, you know, big in them, how he felt about puffing them. He was like, them is his homeboys, which they was. He been had a relationship with them, and, um, you know, Pac just, you know, in the midst of, hit him up, and, you know, the rant that Pac was on, you know, the, not the rant, but the, the 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 wave he was on at the time, you know what I mean? And um, it was just, it was, uh, he didn't like it. You know, Pac was angry, not only because they said, not just because of that interview, a couple weeks before that, people don't know that Pac and Snoop did songs dissing Biggie. I remember hearing it. You know what I mean? Oh. Where, so Pac looking at it like, okay, you dissing songs with me, you riding on my enemies together. You know, because Snoop got his trailer shot up one time. And when they came back from New York, they just started doing songs going at him. That beef between Pac and uh, Snoop happened before New York. Snoop and Pac supposed to perform together at the Roseanne Bar Show. And Snoop was over at Pac's penthouse, and Pac and he were talking. He uh, said, so, you know what time you got to be there, and uh, you, you're going to be there, and this and that, whoop, whoop, whoop. Uh, Snoop was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Snoop never showed up. So we had already gone to the rehearsal. Snoop supposed to show up for the rehearsal. He wasn't there. We go back after rehearsal to the penthouse. But before we before we um, went back, this is what was funny. Ice T was at the rehearsal, and I think he uh, was going to be part of hosting the show or doing something with them. And when we went back to the penthouse, all the way going back, Pac was irate, pissed off, and he was talking about Snoop. So wow, he didn't come for the rehearsal. He didn't lie, blah 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 blah. So I called Kenneth up and I said, "Kenny, what's up, man?" I go, "Pac is like tripping, dude. Uh, Snoop didn't show up for the rehearsal." Because yeah, I know because we still over in the penthouse. Because uh, he said he wasn't going, and I said, "What?" But dude, he didn't show up for the rehearsal, man. What Pac gonna do? They supposed to perform. Pac did his parts and everything. Because I don't know. He said he ain't going. So I they pot. He said, Snoop said he ain't going. F that motherfucker. Pop was like done with Snoop. He like, this nigga turned on me. And if you look at any of the uh, following couple of weeks uh, went by, and when they went to the MTV Awards, if you look at any of the pictures, any of the footage of Pac and Snoop sitting there next to one, uh, one another being interviewed by MTV, Snoop just is holding the mic, looking straight ahead with, like, no expression on his face at all. I just wanted to clear my throat. You lost best rap video. You all disappointed about that? Oh, no, I didn't lose, see, because I sold six and a half million copies. So won. I won. When all these famous people get together, 
what's the one thing you take away? Is everybody much shorter than you thought? I know a lot of people find Snoop and say, you know, six foot four. I had no idea. Oh yeah. But do people seem shorter? There's a lot of attitude going on. What do you, what's the one thing you take away? Oh, it's a lot of attitude, of course, because nobody thought we would show up here. But you know, we we always feel like we keeping it real. Not f scratch that. We always felt like we're being true to everything we've always stayed exactly. representing. And our audience is worldwide. We're not even on no, you know, we coming out here and it's some East Coast, West Coast. We got beef with the people we got beef with. But we could go anywhere in the country because we are America's most wanted. Exactly. So you can't stop the flow. Can't stop what America wants. Um, right. On that note, I know that Biggie and Puffy are here tonight. Um, did you see them? Do you have anything to say to them at all? Nah, but if we even if we saw them, we not we are businessmen. We are not animals. It's not like we are gonna see them and rush them and jump on them. If they they see us and they want drama, we gonna definitely bring it like only Dev Ro could bring it. But we here as businessmen to enjoy and, 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 and support the and video, support music, the video awards. music awards for MTV because they support us. So if they want to come and use this business opportunity to get on some gangster, you know we do that better than anybody. Can you envision a day when you know? Y'all, if not, get together and make an album, just peace, peacefully coexist? There's no dream of making an album with Biggie and Puffy or none of them. We're not sweating it like that. This is our we, family We peacefully here. coexist right That's now because right. we all cool. Everybody's here. Everybody's, they, make, they sell records. We sell records. Well, I guess you could call that selling records what they do. We sell large amounts of records, and they sell a few records. And really, there's no, there's no competition. People are really making too much out of it than it is. It's really just, if you want to talk... We're gonna make it specific as to what you could talk about and what you can't talk about. And the East Coast, West Coast thing is something that the journalists and people are making up just to get paid off it so it can drag out. So they're perpetuating it so it could be drama, which I still love MTV, but when it all go down, don't look at me and Biggie and be like, why is there a big East Coast, West Coast war when you're, you're shooting this to 30, 300 homes, 300 countries, telling them about an East Coast, West Coast war that they would never know exists. So that's where information becomes a problem. When and MTV if it did, news if gotta it, be, if gotta it be did the ones let you know. If it did exist, Pac, we wouldn't be here. So right, and if it exists, you know how we're going to be sitting in New York talking about it? We'll try to be better um, role models, and y'all try to stop putting that drama out there. You got, you got a lot of power, a lot of responsibility. We both do. We both need to exercise greater restraint. All right, still hanging out at the after party, and uh, with me uh, from uh, Death Row, introduce yourself, my man. And I'm Suge Knight and Tupac Shakur. All right. Now, here's the deal. Um, first of all, can you tell us uh, what you actually thought about the actual rap category in terms of, I mean, I saw Cruelio win, and I was like, sorry. It's Did like this. For us, anything in awards, when you think about that, we he got an album out there. He sold six million records. He sold three million singles. He got another album coming out, Machiavelli. Snoop got an album coming out. We just moved forward. We don't even get caught up in that type of shit. All right, man. Can we talk about uh, Death Row East? Um, what is exactly happening? Um, and what can we expect from it? You believe in God? Certainly. Believe in Death Row East. <laughs> believe in that. For real. That's it. But if you believe in God, believe in Death Row East. We plan to take the same strategy we use with Death Row West, which is mind over matter, taking all our weaknesses and making it into our strengths. We keep we know that we got strength and numbers. We already run the streets out here. So now we just gonna help some of these brothers get their money on because we know they got talent. We got the ways to make them use their talent to the maximum effect. And that's what this is about. Everybody rap. We don't rap. We rap to make money. We do business. Ain't no other record company out there that sold as many records as we did. We outsold Bad Boy, LaFace, every black record label out there. We outsold them in one year. And I'm a convict and my homeboy just got off a murder case. So that tell you that it's pure talent. No hype, 
We don't got no all-American smiles. They don't even want to buy our record, but they got to buy our record because we represent the street. So Death Row East is going to be a personification of what we did on the west side. We're going to do it to the east side, and we're going to prove once and for all that all these people talking about the east coast, west coast war, they like the Judas was to Jesus. They only here to cause confusion. We here to bring money and to bring change. They here to cause confusion. All these weak rappers, Nas, all these suckers, they battling off of east and west like this is a game. This ain't no game. If this was chess, we'd be yelling checkmate three years ago because we've been beat these it's not a game. We out here trying to help our people make money. We trying to get out of this three strike circle they got us in and start getting our papers on. So that's what we doing. By strength and numbers, we coming to the East Coast to prove there is no fear, there is no problem, there ain't nothing but opportunity. And the opportunity is overthrow the government y'all got right now, which is bad boy and Nas and all that bullshit, and we will bring a new government here that will feed every person in New York. Right, cool, man. All right, man, peace. Thanks a lot. Take care. Peace. New label was going to be Machiavelli Records. It already made up the T-shirts. I have a T-shirt to this day. Euphanasia was going to be his new company. He was leaving Death Row. That's why he called an audit. About a week later, my homeboy that I told you was an office manager, he called me up and he said, "Frank, like uh, you're getting fired." I was like, "What?" Like, yeah, you're getting fired. I go, what are you talking about? Like, man, Tupac just sent a uh, letter. I got it right here. He goes, I'm going to make a copy of it and give it to you. He goes, but I got a letter right here that uh, he no longer is requesting right-way security for his security. I was like, are you serious? Like, yeah. So I said, um, get the letter from you um, idle in the morning. But, yeah, get it tomorrow. I'll give it to you. I read the letter, sure enough. The signature, no longer requested security. Just fired David Kenner as uh, his attorney, which was a conflict of interest from the beginning. So when I got the letter, I said, Pot, said, um, what's going on, man? Um, I heard I'm getting fired. He was like, what? So said you're getting fired. Said, uh, I saw the letter that you sent to the office. He goes, Oh, uh, man, don't worry about that, Frank. You're going with me. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, you're going with me. I'm um, starting my own company, my own record label. My first album I'm putting out is going to be called One Nation because I'm, I'm leaving death row. So you're on a whole bunch of Tupac songs. Yes. Tupac is blowing the fuck up. Man. What was Tupac's relationship like with Shook? Man, it was like... You know, we was, uh, you know, I was a young dude around, and they was like brothers. We were together almost every day. You know, uh, always riding together, clubbing together, at the house cooking. I was, I was the cook. You know, their relationship seemed fine to me. And uh, on the way, you know, on the way to to Vegas, we all caravan down to Vegas. Probably a hundred some cars drove down to Vegas. That day after leaving the toss it up uh, video shoot, I keep going to that. I'm sorry, but after leaving that video shoot, we had just left that video shoot before we got to Vegas. On September the sixth, they were shooting the video that Friday. Uh, toss it up. They were walking Park to the airplane. Park said, "Dead man walking. Really don't want to go to Las Vegas." 
against my better judgment, but I'm gonna go ahead and go. Because I'm a dead man walking. Now you're looking for the secret. But you won't find it because of course you're not really looking. You don't really want to work it out. Want to be fool. Machiavellian is Illuminati all through your body. The blows like a 12 gauge shot. The Conversation Room, the room where like minds conversate.